0: Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show This is your guide to better cricket For a little while we're going to help you out Or help you to help others Depending on whether you're a coach or a player We don't distinguish here My name's David Hinchliff. I look after things here And helping me to help you are two very fine cricket coaches The first is the Director of Cricket at Millfield School It's Mark Garraway. Hello Gareth. how's it going?
1: Oh good, thank you very much Yeah, really good
0: Still, uh, still on summer. Is there, is there much of it left
1: for you? No, no, no. Back, uh, back to the grindstone. Um, yes, yeah, so we've been working all week, and then we've got uh, the dreaded inset uh, tomorrow in service training, which uh, will fill us all with incredible amounts of joy. I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, okay. But the good thing is we'll have we'll have millfield lunches, so that will make it a little bit palatable. And then um, we're into it. Yeah, we have got the, the girls under 15. In t20 final on monday um, and then into school on tuesday so all good
0: fantastic it must be a bit weird coming back from summer and then sort of continuing where you left off with the the cricket season that's sort of slightly odd isn't it
1: yeah there's always a couple of finals at the end because it's such a short term Uh, I'm sure it's the same for Sam as well but it's an unbelievable short term uh, uh, for the summer and you've got all those exams and and what have you so it gives us an opportunity to to finish the season off really so always interesting to see how the kids turn up because you've got the ones that have played an absolute boatload over the summer that are probably a bit cream-crackered and then you've got ones that have been sun themselves in various parts of the world and uh, haven't lifted a bat up so always always entertaining that is for sure
0: and uh, he's already been mentioned it's the uh, head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School is Sam Lavery hello Lavers how's it going similar story for you, you got some cricket in
2: um, yeah, we um, we're nearly back. I've been in this week. We've had new nets delivered and things, so I've just been sorting them out. Um, just uh, finalising a few a few of my plans for the winter, and, and also just preparing for um, a few of the discussions we're going to be having with uh, with the guys on on how they've done over the last um, six, seven weeks, and a little bit before that with school time as well. So. Looking forward to that. We haven't got anything to come back to this year. We've got no national finals this year. We've had the last two or three years. We've had some, so a shame, but not to worry. So uh, hopefully um, Gareth has a good day with his two or three games he's got left, and we will um, we will be cracking on with the with the winter work fairly shortly.
0: Yeah, get stuck in as as uh, as quickly as you can because uh, it it rolls round pretty quick, doesn't it?
2: Oh yeah, like before you know it, you're in you're in January, February, and then you're almost in the season.
0: Let's uh, talk about something then, which uh, might be tied into school cricket quite a lot, and um, uh, that's to do with juniors, which is um, it, it's a perennial problem, and it's you know it's happened for years, and um, sometimes things work better than other times, and obviously it depends a lot on the people. But what I'm really talking about is helping junior players move into senior cricket. Often, this is the time when younger players drop out of the game altogether there's other things come into their lives but one of the big factors is that you have to make the jump from playing shorter formats against people who are you know, roughly the same size as you to longer formats against people who are usually much bigger than you so it's a big step and it's a difficult one to get right so is there any best practices that people listening to this can get into and get doing at their clubs and uh, perhaps at their academies and helping the, the younger ones make that leap up into uh, adult cricket.
1: Yeah, I, I look at this and, and often... <laughs> I think the most difficult transition for uh, people to make or the people who find that transition the most difficult are the adults actually the the kids tend to just go with the flow because they've known nothing other than their development so uh, whilst there are some challenges ahead um, they often sort of jump over the wall and and find their feet and and get through it. I think the most difficult one is the people that are either putting the plan together of when that introduction um, occurs occurs or the people that are going to be you know, implicated in that introduction into senior cricket which is often a senior player or somebody who's played all of their cricket in in whatever team this youngster's coming into um, and often then has to play a different role and so it's not just the management of the player in club cricket in particular that we need to look at, it's also the management of, of the players that are already in, in that team. Um, because they're they're going to have a you know a lesser role probably coming along with this youngster coming up, and the youngster is going to be developing at a faster rate than them, that is inevitable, and I often find that it's it's the adults that need to work around it more than the kids, but as we're looking for the kids and how to to support the kids, I think. As we talked about last week, I believe, on the show, as you go up a level, whether that be a kid going into uh, senior cricket or whether it go a a professional cricket going from uh, first class cricket up into test cricket. The thing that increases is the pace and the power. Those are the two things. The game is the same. You know, it is the same game that you've played for x amount of time in junior cricket it might be that you're playing over a slightly longer um, a slightly longer pitch depending on your age but ultimately it's the same game you know and the line of length works and playing straight works and uh, if the ball goes offline you've been able to commit to it uh, works as well so it's just the speed of it so the ball will get to that player quicker and um, with more power on it when they're in the field so can you prepare somebody for that yes you can you can hit some incredi balls off of a tennis racket you can increase the pace that they are used to receiving the ball in the field you can hit the ball slightly higher higher with uh, maybe using the incredi again to build up that volume without getting too many uh, bruises but but ultimately i think um, the kid will adapt fairly quickly so i wouldn't spend too much time doing that because their experience Is going to be the biggest learner rather than anything that we can do, particularly in
0: preparation. I guess one of the most difficult things, Leib, is is, is not the kid who is clearly uh, happy to get stuck in and he's going for it. Um, It's the one who is not quite so sure about it, but is also not going to say anything too much either they might get sort of swept up along and oh you know can you play today we're one short come on get, get your get your wipes we're gonna have we'll get you in and actually you know there's he's maybe a bit more reluctant and he's not quite so sure about it but he sort of gets swept along and that's the thing I think that, that most people certainly adults worry about isn't it that you're sweeping someone in before they're quite ready for it
2: uh, yeah, it does happen. I actually think this is a, a really interesting subject to talk about, and, and partly from what Gareth has touched on there, and, and then partly from the different ends of the spectrum of those junior cricketers like you're talking about. But just, just as a quick example, and it's probably not the same for Gareth because as a as a boarding school, he will have lots of cricketers from lots and lots of different parts, counties around the country, and, and ultimately loads of different clubs. Whereas where, where we are, we can probably have I would imagine somewhere in the region of 50 to 70 children who will be playing adult cricket on a weekend once the school season's over and they're probably split amongst well three quarters of them will be split amongst about five or six clubs now if you think about the influx of that into a cricket club and that cricket club trying to deal with a dozen children who are all pretty good and worth their place in one of the sides, whether it's a first team, a second team, or a third team, um, a dozen children does have an enormous impact. And, and and you've said there on how those senior players manage them in that environment, but also whether or not those senior players are still in that environment. How do you manage this influx of your future first-team cricketers when it comes to that there are only this many spaces available, and these other people have shown loyalty for 8, 9, 10, 11 weeks? So... There is a a, a really big um, issue that that can occur there, and it won't happen always, but um, something that that does happen, and clubs have to manage it manage it very carefully. And I do find that certain clubs are excellent at keeping in contact and want to know how their children are progressing at the, from their clubs and when they're at school, so they're prepared for this sort of handover when it comes to the end of the school season. So. That bit is a real big issue issue for a lot of clubs and it can be for all of the kids as well who who want to get pushed ahead. With those at the other end of the spectrum, again, that management of those young people, um, and it's probably more important for these ones, like you said, isn't it, who maybe get um, maybe aren't fully aware of their role in their side anyway or maybe just getting to grips with their role in their school team or junior team and then suddenly they find themselves with people have different expectations, people have different ways of, of going about playing cricket and, and probably no coach there who is a point of contact for them to go and speak to at any stage. So it can be quite a daunting situation. It can be something that's, that's very, very difficult for them. Um if you can, keep those communication channels open so the captain has a real good conversation and says, if you need anything, come to me. If you're ever unsure of anything, you've got these people in the side. And if ultimately this that, that person come inside can get to know everyone as quick as possible, then that's going to put their, their mind at, at ease. And I'm sure if you're one of the weaker players coming into a side and you're less experienced, you'll pretty quickly see that everyone makes mistakes around you. Other people will get things right and other people will get things wrong. And, and hopefully that puts their mind at rest a little bit and gives them... Um, a little bit more freedom to go out and express themselves in the way that we'd want them to.
0: Okay, so let's answer some questions. Questions that have been sent in by listeners to the show or maybe readers uh, at pitchvision.com. We we don't really uh, mind where the questions come from as long as we get some good ones. And the way this works is the best question of the week wins a prize, which is an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And uh, you can sending questions to us for future shows by emailing coach at pitchvision.com if you want to do that Um, but for now we've had a couple of questions sent in and the first one of those this week is tom and tom says i've been coaching a group of small kids for a few weeks and i've observed something in one of my smallest students he's not afraid to lift the ball over cover or play aggressively during practice but in a game he only blocks I'd like to know what are some activities or advice that I can give him to help get rid of his psychological fear and to help him score more runs
1: thanks for your time it's a classic this isn't it um, sort of Stems really from the previous question in many ways because you know, if you're a youngster going into men's cricket, the, the other change is probably going to be the size of the people that you're playing against. And um, you know, those guys standing at cover, looking at uh, Justin's case here, there's a little batter, those stand, guys standing at cover probably look like. Um, look like giants um, and trying to get the ball through them uh, isn't particularly easy and, and obviously taking his practice strength of being able to hit over the top into the game is probably a little bit daunting I'd have thought um, which is where he's coming from and, and obviously there's a fear of failure here with failure being you know, hit, lifting one in the air and, and getting caught uh, in a game as opposed to when you're in the nets there isn't um, as much of a consequence if he's just in the nets or he's just having having a practice so there's two ways of attacking this really you've got the practice angle and the practice angle is to increase the consequence in his practice so um he gets to become more precise about what he's doing but also recognizes that getting out and getting it wrong is actually part of the game and also is part of a development pathway and he's right at the start end of that um, that process and um, you know nobody who's ends up hitting the ball like AB de villiers over extra cover has gone through that process without holding out and getting it wrong and you know hitting deep mid off instead of hitting uh, the ball into that gap at a deep extra or have managed to you know hit it at head height to the bloke field next cover. so I think the practice angle of increasing consequence does two things one is it makes his practice closer to what he's going to face in a game and two you sort of start to realize that you know you know getting out and getting it wrong or getting away with it if somebody drops it is part and parcel of the game both in practice and in match play one thing that i've uh, noticed
0: uh, labor's when i've been sort of doing analysis on uh, on our season which has just gone is that um the strike rate for um, attacking shots off the back foot is a lot lower than um, the strike rates from attacking shots, or a lot higher, I should say, than the attacking shots on the front foot. In other words, you get out less often. Uh, certainly in our case, you get out left off, less often playing a back foot attacking shot compared to playing a front foot attacking shot, which would kind of make sense, I suppose, you know, pulls and cuts, Are um, are generally safer shots to play than 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 drives. So um, I guess um, if you if you think of it that way, and if you do a little bit of an analysis that way, even just on yourself, and say, well, actually, what shots do I know? What attacking shots? Do I know I can play? And to start with, I'll, I'll just focus on making sure that I pick up my runs from, from uh, attacking the ball in ways that I know I can score. You know, if, if I know that I've got a pull shot that's going to get me uh, it runs and it's unlikely to get me out or less likely to get me out, maybe I'll just focus on thinking, okay, well, if I get a short one, I'm going to make sure I put it away. And maybe I don't quite look at the, um, the front foot stuff quite yet, but, you know, maybe that's something that I can... Um, come on to at a later date or or work on in the nets and and build up my confidence in the meantime by playing those back foot shots a little bit more or whatever your whatever your equivalent is but certainly in our case you know we we, we're a lot more confident playing off the back foot playing cuts and pulls than we are playing off the front foot and certainly in terms of the amount of times that we get out so maybe that's something that will help you build some confidence as well what do you think of that
2: Yeah, well, I think that's a really interesting discussion point, isn't it? I think from from your own team's point of view, um, it would be, first of all, you would say that in the conditions that you are playing in, a lot of the time, and I know there's been a good chunk of rain again, you would think that the slower pitches, driving on the front foot, a little bit tricky, fraught with danger, um, it it is often that as soon as the ball's short, right, I've got a bit of time, I can free my arms and I can... Get it up over the leg side and I can whack it. So, wouldn't be an enormous surprise, or you wouldn't have thought. Be interesting to see how um, the kind of execution compares because, obviously, when you're on the back foot, you can generally take all the bold dismissals out of the game and you can take all the LBW dismissals out of the game. So, there are less opportunities, if you were, for dismissal in there, but um, that's not something that should be uh, sort of countering your argument against it. If there are less opportunities for, to, to get out that way, then, then, play that way when you get the opportunity so um, I, d- I definitely think that if you can understand something in your own game be it collectively and it might be collectively and, and usually you think about your own game as being you as an individual but it might be collectively as a group that um, in certain conditions particularly at home because of the dimensions of the pitch or the way a pitch behaves you might see that there is a specific um, area of your play that is more successful and you can go to more often and And that's something you can really believe in. I guess in in the instance we're talking about, um, we're we're looking for that belief, aren't we? And and sometimes that stats and that that kind of information that we try and put behind it, I know you're, you're, you're really big on trying to back up your ideas or create your ideas from the numbers or vice versa. So there's a little bit of fallback when someone says, I'm not sure about that. Then that actually can give them a lot more positivity when it comes to them going and executing those shots because it's a it's an agreed method that isn't just something they're doing um, instinctively on a pitch, but it's something that we've agreed as a team or you as a coach with a player have agreed, look, this is something you should really be taking on. And maybe in, in the instance that we're, we're discussing here with uh, with Justin, if Justin can be uh, having his conversation with, with Tom, who's the coach, to say... Um, and and between them, they agree that actually, look, this this looks like a really positive method for you. I want you to take it on. Um, do you feel confident in taking it on? Um, and look, if if it goes wrong, don't worry about it. We, we can work on it even more. Then that might kickstart him in, in, into playing it more again. S- similarly, he might say, "No, I'm not confident." And then you're looking for that middle ground and say, "Right, what's going to create more confidence?" Well, at the moment, when we see you in the nets, you're smashing it potentially, even though you're hitting it well, you are maybe unsure of how far you're hitting it or where it's going or what trajectory you're getting the ball on. Subsequently, just by going out and having um, a little open practice in the middle and seeing the actual trajectory and distance you're getting on the ball, that might be the extra belief that you need to go and transfer into matches. And once you've got that, you can you can go and take it into, into your match situation with a bit of confidence and hopefully there's subsequently a bit of success. So... Um, yeah, finding a way to, to gain that belief and gain that um, trust and then give that a, agreed target to a player is um, is something that's tricky. But if you can have any kind of statistical backing to it for success rates like, like you're talking about there, David, or, or anything else, then that certainly gives you more strength to your argument and more support to this way that we want to play.
0: Yeah, yeah, Use the word confidence there and I'd, I'd add the word clarity in there as well. You know, if you're going in with a clear mind... If you're going in with confidence in a method, then that's what's gonna that's what's gonna help you. And the numbers themselves, they don't they don't actually matter themselves. But if if they help you get that confidence and that clarity of mind to be able to say to yourself, well, okay, you know, uh, maybe the drive is I'm not haven't got confidence so much with the drive. I I'm clear on where I am going to get my runs. I'm clear that I can pull. I'm clear that I can cut. I'm clear that okay maybe I can pick up a few singles here and there by dropping and running and all that kind of thing and then suddenly you've got three or four different ways of scoring runs and you're no longer just waiting to get out which you see you know if someone's got no confidence they're sort of they're just they, they're completely confused and they're just waiting to get out and they, and they just they do something which is outside of their skill set has a low chance of success and away they go you know if you have a good old have a good old swing at a, a, a full ball that's on middle stump you know you're uh, you're not going to survive that long if, if that. That becomes your default plan. So, it's confidence and clarity are the two things which I think. Whether you get that through numbers or whether you get that through getting the nets or a combination of both, then uh, that's that's how you progress along that line. I think.
2: I think that's um, that that follows on to something that you will see with most international cricketers. Lots of professional cricketers around the world is that they don't necessarily have a Excel spreadsheet which is going to give them. Um, all the details of how they've got out and what fashion and what kind of bowler and that kind of thing themselves. And maybe they have access to it in certain scenarios, but a lot of them will have a notebook or a little diary that they keep in there and they'll make notes of things they did well, ways they could score against particular bowlers, things they've struggled with against particular bowlers, how they're getting out. And as you write those things down and then find yourself even without any real impetus but just flicking through the notes you have you will start to see trends of things that work for you you'll start to see trends of things that maybe are getting you out along the way and it's going to give you a little bit more direction when it comes to improving on the things you're doing well and maximizing them but also tidying up a few of those rough edges you might have the next question
0: uh, is from nick and nick has a simple question he says is there any way to
1: simulate a heavy ball in practice nets the old heavy ball, eh? Um, yeah, what a saying. I, I used to play with a bloke that bowled a heavy ball a long time ago. His name was Paul Jan Bakker. He's a Dutch, Dutch bowler and he used to bowl medium pace and it was no more than medium pace, but he. Every batter that batted against him would say that the ball would hit the bat heavier than uh, than they, they expected. And uh, that, alongside his, his movement uh, off the seam in particular, made him into a very good bowler for a, for a couple of years. So I know what you mean by heavy ball, but um, so how do we simulate it? Well, there's two ways, really, because a ball obviously doesn't get any heavier when a certain people bowl it. It still uh, retains its mass, but um, it, it obviously hits the bat Harder than you you anticipate. So the ways that you can do that, you know, you can get people to bowl slightly closer. You can put bowling machines slightly closer. You can get side arms from slightly closer, which will make the ball hit the bat um, uh, with more velocity on it. Because again, you're not going to increase the, the the mass of a ball. The other thing, as well as velocity, that I suppose makes people feel as if somebody is bowling a heavy ball at them is where the ball is hitting the bats. And this is something that Pj used to do a lot. He used to hit when people defended quite high up the bat towards the stickers. Now that is something that we can do about. We can do that by putting different surfaces down on top of the surface that we are playing to get more steeper bounce off of the surface. We can do that by having increased legs on uh, height of legs on bowling machines, for example. Um, will will get the ball to bounce steeper which is often what people talk about with a heavy ball is that the ball will bounce and hit us uh, higher up the bat therefore we feel the vibration in our hands much more so than when the ball hits, hits the middle of a bat because A, it's further away and often the middle of a bat is thicker than the, the top of the bat and the stickers I suppose, the splice as we, as we know it, so yes we can do that another way of doing it as well is putting uh, um, those industrial sort of postage elastic bands around the seam as well so the ball stands up that little bit more when the ball hits the pitch if you can't put a different match down or create a different surface or you can change the surface that you're on anyway so indoor schools are very good for it concrete um, surfaces or astro surfaces that are laid on top of concrete are very good for it but you know you're not going to change the mass of the ball I mean there are heavyweight balls now but I wouldn't want to be using my best cricket bat with heavyweight balls that is for sure so the way to simulate it for me is to either get closer to increase the height that the ball is bowled or to place either the surface or the seam on the ball to increase the amount of spring and bounce which will hit different types of uh, different parts of a bat so you, you can do it it's not often done um, because you're not often facing play, bowlers uh, in, in cricket at way above your level of getting the ball to bounce steeply but um, uh, those things certainly have been done in the past and uh, it might be worth considering yeah I'd I, I...
0: I was going to mention height of bounce as well and uh, that's where you know you get tall bowlers in or you get um, uh, or you bowl with the sidearm rather than throw with it I suppose I I I throw with the sidearm I can't I can't bowl with it I well I haven't I haven't tried in any amount of time but if you bowl with the sidearm you've got your, the height of your arm plus the height of the sidearm haven't you so that's got to create extra bounce I, I guess that's one of the simplest ways to do it
1: yeah and, it, and it's a good thing to do the other thing i like about that particular practice is that you are simulating uh, the bowling action which means that the batter is picking up on different cues which are essential pre-ball cues given from the bowler um and it's simulating it as best as you possibly can can do from uh, from a sort of throw down uh, perspective much more so than uh, if we we're throwing with it
2: well, Gara's Garrett, answers there was, was was pretty comprehensive, I would have said. I've got a few sort of tricks up my sleeve which I would think are, are gonna simulate a heavy ball. Not necessarily that I use them a lot, but I, I use them other, for other reasons, but definitely bringing, bringing the bowling machine shorter obviously adds speed, but also uh, steepens that trajectory into the ground. So that's gonna make it more bounce and more speed. Similarly, as we talked about there, using the, the sidearm can, can take the height up, increasing speed and increasing steepness into the ground, so more bounce. So you've got a couple of good options there. Adapting the surface if it's possible. um, And it's very difficult to go from, for instance, one rolled out mat to the other side of the mat where it's then very, very soft and spongy even though it's steeper. It's not um, not quite as fast because you've got a pace from it. So um, I guess the main question would be what are you hoping to get from simulating the heavy ball? So what do you want to do? Are you just wanting to give someone some comfort in being able to... Adapt to it or, or manipulate it still. Um, what you don't want to do is get people into that habit of becoming fearful of a ball being a heavy ball and then subsequently missing out on other scoring opportunities. So, I'd be I'd be kind of wanting to poke a little bit further first and say what do we want to achieve by simulating this. And once we've once we've got that out of the way and we know what we're trying to achieve, then we can maybe give a little bit more direction on uh, on different ways in which we can simulate it or maybe pinpoint the one of the the ones that have, that have come up we could we can pinpoint which one's going to be the most effective once we know the end goal I'm with Sam I'm with Sam on that because it's
1: you know the reason why it's not practiced hugely is the fact that um, it's not something that people want to spend an over amount of time on for exactly those reasons so be really specific as we always say about why we're practicing and what the purpose is that, that comes off the end of it but if for example I'm in the England camp now and I'm playing against uh, uh, the captain holder from the West Indies who bowled beautifully at Headingley You know, he's no more than 80 mile an hour but got the ball to bounce and when he did get the ball to hit the seam it, it went laterally with that bounce and he caught all, all ends of trouble for, for the England players so you know, can I would have them away now trying to increase the height of balls to just get used to that much more so than the skiddy roach who they, they've coped well with even though he's bowled fairly well and even somebody like Shannon Gabriel you know he's a big strong lad but he's not getting the ball to stick in the pitch and bounce quite so much as, as holder so I would be a little bit specific ahead of Lords around that and just increasing the height of bowling machines if people want bowling machines or seeing if we could get some people to bowl with side arms, as you said, David, to increase that increase that height because the ball hitting the splice of a batter at Headingley was, was hard work for the England batters throughout both innings.
0: And that is just about all we've got time for on the show this week. There is one more thing we need to do before we go, and that's decide on the winner of the competition. As I mentioned before, the online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com is up for grams. And the two questions on the table is... Tom's question about uh, building confidence in uh, a young player who is wants to be a bit more aggressive and Nick's question about simulating a heavy ball. So which one did you prefer this week, Garris?
1: Well, as the theme is about that transition, I suppose, from young players into uh, senior cricket, and it has been throughout the show, I'm going to go with Tom's question this week. Congratulations,
0: Tom. Uh, get to work. I hope that helps you out and I hope that helps out young uh, Justin who was having all the problems there. Now, Gareth, if someone was listening to the show and was thinking they wanted to send in a question for another week and get it answered and win the prize, how could they get in touch with us?
1: They could give us a call on 0203 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com.
0: That's correct. There's lots of other ways you can get in touch with us as well. First way is to head over to pitchvision.com and use the messaging system there. Um, you can follow Pitch Vision Academy to uh, get all the updates uh, and get in touch with us, send us your questions. That's very simple to do and doesn't cost anything. Or you can use other social media. Facebook is around facebook.com slash academy and Twitter at pitchvisionacad. You can listen to this show every week as well. You can do that through your favorite podcast app by searching for Pitch Vision Academy, clicking on subscribe and uh, that will do the job there. Or if you want to do it through the PitchVision website, you can do that. Go over to pitchvision.com academy. Click on the podcast link and uh, you'll get all the old shows there and uh, all the old show notes and uh, everything right from the beginning right up to this very show. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Garris. Cheers, Lavers.
1: Cheers, fellas. Cheers, boys.